the kingdom-focused church. I want you to think about those four words just for a moment. I'm going to give you a second to get settled. Miss Dottie's already told me this morning that she didn't sleep much last night, so she's already given me a reason why she's going to go to sleep in the first minute. I want you to think about these four words just for a second. We're going to put them up there. We're going to put a little color around them. The. It's an article. It's very specific. speaks of something very unique. speaks of something uh, that is one of a kind. It doesn't say one of the. It is. It, it really zeroes in on something that's very unique, very specific, something not general. The. Kingdom. Now, kingdom is a word that we don't use much in the United States of America for over 200 years. We've not had a king and a kingdom, but a kingdom, by definition, has to have a king. And the kingdom is the rule and reign of a king. And inside that kingdom, that king is the law. Everything comes and goes at his pleasure, at his leisure. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God. We know that John the Baptist introduced the kingdom of God when he said the kingdom is coming. Jesus said the kingdom is here, and he began to preach and teach the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we have but one king, focused, focused. Now, it's easier to illustrate focus than it is to define focus because focus means that you have a, a very a very clear image of what you're going to do. It's, it's very well defined. For me, I think of eyesight. I take my glasses off and all of you look just alike. I put my glasses back on and I want to take them off. No, I'm teasing. Okay. <laughs> put my glasses on and the, and the image comes into focus. We've seen focus several times in the, in the past uh, months. I'll just use one because it's so predominant in the golfing world. We all know the name Tiger Woods, and we know that when he gets off the track, he gets that laser-like focus, one one clear goal in mind, and nothing's going to detract him. Church. A lot of groups try to wear the name of church, but for my two cents worth. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'll build my church, he was talking about his universal church. Never confuse that with an invisible church. There's no such thing as an invisible church. There is a universal church. He's talking about people who have been saved, baptized, redeemed, bought by the blood of the Lamb. When we talk about church here, we're talking about the churches, the local church, like Paul spoke to when he wrote to the churches in southern Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, and the like. The church... If I were to find a church, it was a group would be a group of baptized believers who have cooperatively banded together to be on mission for Christ. The kingdom-focused church. Last week, we began this series talking about the exposure. How do we know what a kingdom-focused church is? And for those who weren't here, we found three, re- three ways we could identify a kingdom-focused church. Number one, they had one priority. That priority was the Great Commission, to reach people for Christ. We also learned last week that there is nothing that a church body can do to overcome them not reaching people for Christ. One priority. One philosophy. To do like Paul did, 1 Corinthians 9, he set forth the philosophy of doing whatever it takes to reach that one priority. 
And they have one plan, to know Christ. To know him and discover his will and do what he says and depend on him. But listen, folks, we can identify, we can expose that kingdom-focused church all we want to. We can identify it. We can recognize it. We can think it's right. We can allow it to happen. We can do so many things, but it's simply not enough. This morning, as we think about the kingdom-focused church, I want to call you to do one thing today, and that is to embrace it. To embrace the kingdom-focused church. Church. What does that word embrace mean? Well, most of us think it means hug. Teenage boys love to use that word embraced. Want to get embraced. I dare say to you, it does mean hug, but a hug, what does a hug mean? It means love. It means acceptance. And I'll tell you what it means for the membership of Hueytown Baptist Church. It doesn't just mean love and accept and approve. It means to participate in. To the point that we're cooperative. That's what it means. Now, I thought this week and I prayed this week and, and, and weeks prior about who and what in the Bible could teach us this principle. And I go to the Apostle Paul. If you will this morning, turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 as we look at the second part in four parts about the kingdom-focused church. We began last week with exposing the kingdom-focused church today, embracing, next week empowering, and we end up with experiencing the kingdom-focused church. Philippians chapter 3. Let's stand together to read God's Word. I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you do not, it's on the screen, but I do hope you have them. Maybe you can mark them as you follow along. Now, before I begin in verse 7, let me remind you what's going on here. In the first part of chapter 3, Paul has talked about all the good things that he is. He's a good old boy. He's done all the things that he knew to do. He's baptized, circumcised. He's done everything he knows to do. But watch how he picks it up right here. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. 
In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we explore your word this morning, I pray that you will explore our hearts. And I pray that as painful as it might be for us, I pray that you will do a divine work in us. I pray that you will do that work in this place this morning. That when we leave here, that our hearts will be changed, our minds will be changed, and our direction will And course will be set to become the people in the church that you want us to be in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul wrote the book that we call a book. It was a letter of Philippians from a jail cell. From a prison. And yet, Warren Wiersbe calls this book, when he writes his commentary on this book, he calls it Be Joyful. Because six times in this book, in the, in the Holman Christian Standard Version, he speaks of joy. Now, he speaks of joy from a jail cell. Another thing about this letter I want you to know, now please listen. This letter was written to believers, to the church, to people like us. I think it's worth noting that there is a very startling couple of verses in what we have read this morning. And it's very startling because it's very apropos for the 21st century. In verse 18 and 19, it says... For I have often told you and now say again with tears. I'll pause there to tell you he's crying about it. He's brokenhearted about it. That many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now he's talking to the church. He doesn't just stop there. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Just what they want. Their glory is their shame. And here's why. They are focused on. On earthly things. Now, brothers and sisters, we're either focused on earthly things or on the kingdom. Can't be both. I will tell you, those two verses of Scripture leaped out at me as I was preparing this message, and I thought maybe that's a message for another time, Brother George, the plight of the church. If we are to be a kingdom-focused church... What is required? How do we do it? How does the scripture teach us? If we're to be a kingdom-focused church, there are some things we have to do. 
I'm going to suggest four to you. You can write them down. There are four words that I've lifted right out of this text or either pulled out of this text. If we're to be a kingdom-focused church, there are some things we must forsake. There are some things that we must forsake. Look at the life of Paul. Chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, he talks about all the good things in his life. And then he comes down here and watch this, how many times he uses this word. He says, but everything that was gained to me, everything that I have accumulated, is now loss. He doesn't just stop there. He says, not just everything I've accumulated, everything in this world is a loss. Then he says, because I've suffered the loss of all things, and now not only are there loss, they are rubbish. They are filth. They are garbage. Now, brothers and sisters, the truth is we have trouble today discerning that the things of this world is rubbish when compared to God. There are some things that we have to turn loose of, just like we had to turn loose of personally to meet Christ. Other places, Paul tells us this. He tells us that we have to put away. We have to put down. We have to put off. We have to put to death. There are some things, church, if we're going to be kingdom-focused, that we have to turn our backs on. And they're not comfortable things to turn our back on. There are things that we personally may like that we've got to turn our backs on. Probably most of us in here, when we became believers, there were some things we had to let go of. Could I get a witness? There's some things we had to turn loose of. For some of us, it may have been alcohol. For some of us, it may be tobacco. For some of us, it may have been lust. For some of us, it may have been immorality. For some of us, it may have been ethics. We had to take on good ethics. For some of us, we had to turn loose of this thing of using our tongue negatively and we had to embrace something else. But they, every one of us had to turn loose of something when we truly met Christ. Did you know that in the same way that if the church is earthly focused, there's some things that we have to turn loose of? Were I to tell you some of the things that the modern-day Americanized church needs to turn loose of today, one that leads the list is tradition. Now, I don't mean any offense. I'm a, I'm a blue hair. I don't mean any offense. But I'm just going to tell you, our traditions across the board in the Southern Baptist Convention don't seem to have worked too well. Just don't seem to, whatever we've been doing, not working. And we need to turn our back on it and embrace something that does work. Let me move forward and maybe I'll tie all this together because we have to forsake some things, but not only do we have to forsake some things, Paul says there are some things we must forget. He says forgetting what is behind. Now what is he talking about? Well, he was a good old boy. I mean, he did everything that he knew to do. He was a good old boy. And he says, but man, I've got to lay that behind. I've got to forget that stuff. Lay it behind. Lay it behind me. When you forgive and forget, well, excuse me, when you forsake and forget, you know what you do? Watch this. When you forsake, you turn your back on something. That's not too hard. Sometimes we can turn our back on something. 
But what we're going to do is we're going to keep that what we turned our back on right at our feet, right behind us. The Bible calls that making provision for the flesh. Lord, I'm going to turn my back on it, but if I decide to go back to it, I want it close. There's a story in the Old Testament that really pictures this, folks. Go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, whatever your theology is about this, it's fine. We're not going to part company over this. I happen to believe that when God got ready, I have to personally believe this. This is not Bible. This is what Jerry Watts believes, okay? I happen to believe that when God got ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, that he took a couple of those volcanoes around there, and he shook them up, and he exploded them right on that city. They call it fire and brimstone. Fire came from the sky. And when God gets rid of a city, they can't even find it today. I heard two years ago that they think that they may have finally located where Sodom and Gomorrah was because when God wipes something off, it's wiped. Whatever it was, whether he just threw it down from the heavens, he certainly could have done that, or whether he used natural elements, one thing's for sure, that he destroyed the city, and he sent his angel into the city. And he said to Lot and his family, he said, y'all need to come with me, turn your back on that city, forsake that city, and let's go. And you know the story. They get out there. And how many times are we like this? We turn our backs on, on our own Sodom. And like Mrs. Lot, we just won't forget it. And she turned around and experienced the wrath of God. You know what the truth is? We as a church need to forget some things. Hueytown Baptist Church need to forget some things. There are some things in our history we need to turn loose of. We need to turn our backs on it. We need to walk away from it and be done with it. Now look, when I say that, I can almost hear the inaudible gasp. Is Brother Jerry about to get up on a Sunday morning and air our dirty laundry? And listen, the answer is no. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. I can make all the lists that people have told me, and I wouldn't know it all. You do. You know what we need to forget? We need to forget whatever it is that's distracting us from being a kingdom-focused church. We need to forget whatever it is that keeps us from being people-conscious. We need to forget whatever it is that stops us from being on the point reaching people. This community needs a church a church family to show the love of God, to be the love of God, to reach out daily, weekly, through its membership and bring people in. And blessed be, some of us cannot do it because we cannot forsake, we cannot forget, we hang on to the past. And it's killing our community. And I think it's breaking the heart of God. We're going to be a kingdom-focused church. There are some things that we have to forsake. There are some things that we have to forget. And listen to me before I pass this away. If you know what it is in your life, why don't you do business with God this morning? Does it really require the pastor embarrassing everybody and saying, we need to forget this, and we need to forget this, and we need to forget this? I believe in the priesthood of the believer, and I believe that God will speak to your heart if you want to hear from him. And I believe he'll tell you in your life what you need to turn loose of. Now, if there's something that corporately we need to turn loose of, you come see me. 
There sits the, there sits the uh, uh, chairman of deacons for the last two years. Back there sits the chairman of deacons right now. And both of these men will tell you, if you bring it to me, and it's something we need to repent of corporately, we'll get to it. But now look, forsaking and forgetting is not enough. Forsaking and forgetting is not enough. You realize that 80% obedience is still disobedience. In fact, I bet Jamie Price's boys, Austin and Andrew, will tell you 95% obedience is disobedience. Would they tell you that, Jamie? 100% is still disobedience. Okay. And God expects as much from us as we do our kids. There are some things we must forsake, Paul says. There are some things we must forget. And then if you move right on through this verse, there are some things that we must follow. When he says forgetting what is behind, he says, and reaching forward to what is ahead. You know what, folks? Can I just pause there to say sometimes we can't reach ahead because we're holding on to so much of what is behind. And what is behind is not really what God would have us to. We hold on to things he don't want us to hold on to. Hello? And then he says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's upward call in Christ Jesus. And in the old King James, it's I press on, press forward. The Greek word is that I'm leaning forward, stretching for the tape. There's some things that we have to press forward to. And by the way, it might be follow after instead of just follow. You know, in order to follow someone, you have to keep them in sight. I've used that illustration many times. You have to keep them in front of you. You have to keep them in sight. To follow Christ means that we go where he would go. To do what he would do. I thought about this this week. If Jesus came to Hueytown, Alabama, would he really hang out in the church building all the time and hum hymns and sing praise songs and hug babies and kiss women? I think if Jesus came to Hueytown, that he'd be out among the people that were hurting. I just want to say this to you. No apologies. I don't mean offense, but no apologies. Do you realize, Steve, you counted 200 and over 200 people. Do you realize that you 200 people out in the community, you get to touch base with more lost, hurting, spiritually needy people every week than your pastor can in a year? Do you realize that God has called you not to do the church, not to go the church. God has called you to be the church. And if Jesus was here in our community, he'd be out among our people. Just sharing a little light and a little love. Best I can tell, he never compromised, but he was never offensive. He never drove anybody away by his words. He spoke the words, and then they chose to walk away. He was never pharisaical about it. He was concerned, compassionate everywhere he went. And his life was focused on bringing people into the kingdom. What is your life focused on this morning? 
There's some things that we have to follow. For the sake of time, because I want to give us plenty of time this morning to make a decision. I see as I read this that if we're going to be a kingdom-focused church, there are some things that we're going to have to turn our, loose of, turn our backs on for sake. There are some things that we're going to have to walk away from. I have to forget. There are some things that we're going to have to take up and press on, press forward, march forward, just like Jesus would. But there are finally some things. You might not like how I use this word, but I think it fits. There are some things that we're going to have to simply faith. Now you've gotten that word written down. I want your attention. There are some things that we have to do by faith. The Bible tells us the just, that would be the saved, shall live by faith. The Bible calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. The writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is the essence of things unseen, the evidence of things hoped for. The substance, the evidence, the proof, if you will. We should be a people of faith. Do you know that we should always have something going on in this body if we're going to be people of faith? There should be something going on that if God doesn't show up, we fall on our faces. But it has to do if we're walking by faith. Have you ever needed to say something and you got a knot in your stomach? I have struggled with this, what I'm about to share with you for about two weeks. God knows my heart. And I know what's about to be said and needs to be said. I have no desire to be offensive. But I do have the desire to be the corrective shepherd. And I hope you'll receive it that way. Within the membership of Hueytown Baptist Church, we have basically three groups. Uh, let, me, let me give a disclaimer. Nobody's on my case. Nobody said a word out of the way to me, so don't look around at each other and say, who got on the preacher's case this week? This is just his word. We have basically three groups of people as far as I can tell after almost two years as your pastor. Basically three groups of people in our congregation. We have that group of people that like things the way they were. If you talk to them about reaching people, they'll go, you know, I like it the size, I like our church the size it is. In fact, I like the things that we used to do. You know, in fact, could we go back 20 or 30 years and anybody with any logical answer goes, no, we can't. doesn't happen that way. The people don't want it to change. To their credit, they've not really fought it for two years. But the opinion's there. 
These are good people, not bad people. The second group of people is the people that really don't care. You know, just as long as i got a Sunday school class to go into, hear a half-decent lesson, get there in fellowship with my friends, have a place to sit on Sunday morning and Sunday night, it's okay. I really don't care. I'd like to speak to those two groups of people right now. And here's my question. Is it our opinion, is it your opinion, that God allowed his son to leave heaven and experience a crucifixion so that you could have a place to sit on Sunday morning? So you could just have a Sunday school class to come in and feel good about knowing everybody? Is it your opinion that God did all of this so that you could get comfortable in a body called Hueytown Baptist Church and literally write, literally write off everybody else in the area? Is it your opinion that he did all that so you can do what you want? There's a third group of people. There might be more than that. There's a group of people who I believe really wants to see this church become a kingdom-focused church. I believe they want to see God do a work here because they know this community needs a work here. They know we're treading water in darkness. They know that last year this little church led our entire Bessemer Association of Baptisms with 23, and they know how paltry few that is. And they want to see God get loose. Here's my word to you. It's time to step up your commitment. It's time to put your money where your mouth is. It's time to adjust the schedule so people can see you're consistent. It's time to adjust your life so that people can look at you and go, gosh, how do they do that? And the only way you do that is by your faith in him. You know, this thing of attending by shifts. You know, we'll be running 300 in Sunday school. And we'll get everybody here at the same time. To those who really want it to be a kingdom-focused church, here's your decision this morning. To say, Lord, you know my heart. You know me better than anybody else. And I know that I'm one of the ones he's talking to. I really want to see you do a work here. And I know I've not done my part. I know in the, the deep places of my heart, maybe I don't like this, maybe I don't like that, maybe I don't support this, maybe I'll support that. This morning, I bring my life to you and I ask you to show me what to do. Show me what to give to you. And then you raise your commitment level. To the other group, two groups of people, I don't, 
You make people mad and they run the other direction. That is not my heart this morning. My heart is for you to get before God right now. Put this down as a defining moment. And say, Lord, you know, I'm one of those he's talked to. Man, I kind of like things like they are and like they were. And I kind of like, well, this is good. But I don't want to stand in your way. And you ask him to restore your, the joy of your salvation. Restore the vision that he's given for this congregation. And put you on the team. For some this morning, you've been visiting us for quite a while. And you want to be a part. You want to be a part of a church that's kingdom-focused. You've seen enough church politics and it makes you sick. And you want to be a part of a kingdom-focused church. But listen, don't wait till you find a perfect church to join it because you'll screw it up when you go and join it. If you want it to be a kingdom-focused church, best I can tell you, as long as the Lord leads me pastor here, I'm going to do my best to lead us to be a kingdom-focused church. You can plant your life right here. God's called you here. There's no reason to delay any longer. For others, you're going, what is all this about? Man, I, I just need some help in my life. Well, you know what? got good news for you. The Jesus who called us to be kingdom-focused is the Jesus that can change your life. And in just a moment, Brother Terry DeFore will be here. Brother Jason Ross will be here. I'll be in the center. And when we stand to sing, you can just make your way to whatever aisle is closest to you. And we'll take you by the hand. And either we'll tell you or have somebody to tell you how Jesus can make a difference in your life. Brothers and sisters, it's not about us. It's all about him. Let's pray together.